So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. I think that's clear. I hope that's clear because that's what we're going to do. I bought this camera a week and a half ago to make these videos better. And then halfway through last week's podcast, the, the camera cut out at like 30 minutes and I didn't know what had happened. And uh, I've just done a little bit of research and now I've just found out that the longest amount of time that this camera can actually record for is, is 30 minutes. So uh, forgive me, but I'm going to have to just try and navigate my way through uh, how to continue a conversation with the camera cutting out. If you see me at 29 minutes and 59 seconds, reach for the audio, reach for the camera. You know what's going on. I, I don't know technology well enough. This is why I need a producer. I need to have a producer to help me out with this kind of stuff because technology is not a strong point of mine. I just want a camera that works. I want a computer that works. And in my mind, hey, problem solved. Surely if you can just get those two things sorted, a podcast is, is ready to go. But apparently not. It's, a, it's an intricate minefield of constant upgrades, improvements, adjustments. And I've, I've never had the patience to really care about or, or, or be passionate about trying to improve technology. But now I'm, I'm here with you guys. I guess we have to. It's just the, it's the world we live in now, I guess you could say. It's a world. I would have been a way better friend in 1995, a way better person back in 1995, because so many people uh, will, will try and contact me. Like People will try and contact me and say, um, Ty's like, what are you doing? And then I won't respond on that particular platform because I'm busy, so they'll mes message me on another one. I'll get a message on Messenger, and then I'll get a message, uh, a message on Facebook, and then I'll get a message on WhatsApp, and then I'll get a message on my normal phone. And then someone will try and call me going, Tyson, is everything okay? I go, man, I'm just in the toilet. I'm just, I'm just trying to do a poo. I ate too much fruit this morning. So like, everything seems okay. If that's not a problem to you, it's not a problem to me. I'm going to get through it. But you can't, you can't just be contacting me nonstop just because, because you have access to me. I just keep my phone on airplane mode now. And people always say to me, oh, Tyson, you're really unreliable with your phone. I go, no, no. You're... You should just come and visit me. Let's organize a time to visit and we won't text. That's a, that's a way better idea. I don't want to text. Had a conversation with a mate last night and uh, he's the one mate that I talk to on the phone on a regular basis. Me and him, we just don't text. And reason for it is it's because it's ridiculous. You can send 45 texts and have a, or, or have a three minute conversation. People always say, Tyson, you really got to improve. Like, don't, I thought we were friends. I really want to be your, your mate. I go, mate, I called you for 10 minutes the other day. He goes, but I've texted you 153 times since. I go, honestly, a three-minute call is worth those 150 texts, so you need to calm down because I'm a better friend still. I don't know. I just think modern technology, it's a little bit too intrusive for me. I don't like how much access people have. All the, I don't like how much people just expect you to respond just because the whole world is nuts and frantic and manic and uh, you know reaches for a phone 150 times a day. I don't want to have to get tied down into that kind of... I don't want to get tied down into that world. That's not what I'm about. I'm not interested in, in my phone. Not that much. If I responded to a text message, I don't get that many text messages anymore because I think, I think people who know me get the point. I had a couple of phone calls from mum going, love, are we okay? <laughs> I go, mum, we're fine. I just don't, I don't know where I put my phone. All right, I didn't know which platform to check. To because look at it practically. You've got, you've got Facebook. You've got text messages. You've got um, WhatsApp. You've got Instagram messages. You've got Instagram comments. I have people stop by my house sometime for a quick hello. That's the equivalent. That's a, a more confrontive one. Because you can't put yourself on airplane mode if someone just rocks up at the door. If they get to your front door and see you sitting in your jocks in the lounge room, they know that you're there. <laughs> so it doesn't work in that situation if they start yelling out, Ties, 
and you just look at them, pretend you're not interested in that conversation. It's e- what I'm trying to say is it's easier to be rude through technology than what it is when you're when you're face to face, isn't it? And I found that as well because because through this COVID lockdown over the last 18 years here in Australia, one thing I realised was every time I put up a Facebook status, uh, there were so many people that I just assumed, okay, now we hate each other. I guess it's official. We hate each other now. We're not going to be friends. We don't have any time for each other. Based on one comment that each of us made on a Facebook status, they got more likes than me. I get upset. They got more likes than me on a comment on my status than I got on my status. I go, okay, well, I guess we're not friends anymore. If you've got that many people going to support what you say and I'm not going to get a little bit of emotional support on my own status, we're done. And then I see these people face-to-face at a comedy gig and the first thing I want to do is give them a cuddle because I'm a, I'm a hugger. And they're lovely. It's so much easier to be nice in real life because when you're there in real life, you're... Like you have to acknowledge the fact that the person you're sitting in front of has emotional needs, has emotional responses to the comments that you're making. They, you can see when when what you're saying is is hitting a raw nerve for someone. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of how hard they do, I can say what I want on Facebook and not have to worry about what anyone's thinking. It's the same. That's what I love about this podcast. I get a couple of messages now and then saying what you said was disgusting, but I don't have to look at your face as I say it, <laughs> so I can, I can get away with it. It might make it a little bit harder to maybe justify some of the things. Look, you're a lovely person. If I've ever fat shamed you accidentally, I didn't mean it. I think you're a beautiful person. Do you know what I mean? I did a joke last night at comedy speaking about how I had I found it difficult having sex with my wife when she was pregnant. And, uh, and the audience said, oh, why is that? And I said, because I, I wasn't used to having sex with fat chicks. <laughs> I said, don't worry. No, I'm only joking. Uh, she was fat way before she was pregnant, which is a horrible joke. But I noticed an overweight girl in the audience laughing, and she seemed to be genuinely laughing. So I, I think that justified it. I think if anyone's got a problem with it now, you have to go and speak to that particular girl because you can't be... Sk- this is what annoys me as well. You can't... What, what's the issue with people feeling as though they need to uh, look after a particular minority? Like if you're, a, if you're a skinny person, you feel the need to look after a fat person. I don't understand what that is. Is that just genuine care for, for fellow humans? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're just looking out for... That's fine. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not encouraging being nasty. But I like the idea of being honest. It's like... You, you, I saw a TikTok video this morning of a, a girl, morbidly obese, uh, terribly unhealthy. It looked... It was actually hard to watch. It was a TikTok video. I, I can't remember where I saw it, but morbidly obese. Honestly, the most... Um, it was the most obese person I'd ever seen with the least amount of clothes in my whole life. And I thought, well, we've got people are trying to celebrate that because it's like, no, no, this is body positive. There, there's some bo- bodies I don't think we should be positive about. Do you know, whether you're uh, bulimic, anorexic, and your skin and bone, that's not good for your health. We can't be, I don't think we can celebrate that. Because it has to work both ways, doesn't it? Uh, anorexia is a disease that we need to look at and improve and give people strategies to overcome because... Obviously, it's a horrific way to live. It's terrible for their health. It's obviously connected to a lot of mental issues that are going on inside. I was a little bit funny when I was 13 years old. I would only eat certain foods. I can't, I, but look at me trying to just justify the fact I was, I was borderline anorexia. It's like I was at a comedy show the other night and a white guy tried to tell me he was 8% Indian and he, and, and he gets really passionate about sticking up for his Indian brothers. Like, I mean, if you're 8% Indian... <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like if I got eight percent on a test at school, people just assumed that you just you weren't even trying. Yeah, it, it wasn't an actual proper attempt because eight percent—it's just preposterous to even try and claim that eight percent is a significant achievement. Is is a blatant lie. So for this guy to tell me he's eight percent Indian, he just feels passionate and he feels like he's got a right. 
to stick up for his Indian brothers and sisters. It's, it's not... I'm probably 8% woman. I don't even realise. I'm not sure. My nipples are bigger than they should be, which is a like a, a concern, especially when I'm cold or nervous. When I'm cold or nervous, my nipples go bigger than they should be, which I'm... Yeah, it's it's weird. I got told a while ago that if you're, if you're cold, your nipples will be hard, and if you're nervous, your nipples will be will be soft. So if you're in a if you're in a situation, it was a stand-up comedy room. I was about to get on stage. I said, dude, is it cold or am I nervous? Because I had goosebumps, my nipples were pointing out. And, and this guy, he, he Geordie, he, he just went like this on my nipples. And he goes, they're quite soft. I think you're just nervous. I said, one sec, did I have I just been sexually harassed? Because that wasn't as bad as people talk about it being. I, that was actually quite enjoyable. If you want to do it again, <laughs> do you know? So, I don't know. This chick on TikTok was was really concerning though, because obviously there's a there's a she would have been twenty eight, I reckon, maximum thirty five. You know, when you're in your sort of late twenties, early thirties, you can't tell exactly the age of a person. But this particular person, she just it was. If we weren't in the culture that we're living in now, we uh, like anyone with the same mind would have looked at it and gone, sweetheart. Like this is you put some clothes on because no one wants to see it. It's disappointing. It's hurtful. And the problem was the guy. So she was dirty dancing with a guy. She was twerking with this guy. You could her camel toe was gigantic. Her, and honestly, the, the I got no problem if you if you you don't realize you've got a camel toe. But if like it, it's nice if a friend points it out to you if it's not there on purpose just to go hey look Sarah your your camel toe is showing. She's like oh it's there on purpose. It's like we're in Melbourne right now. It's quite fashionable. And the friend goes, well, okay, I didn't realise that's what we were doing. But if Sarah's comfortable with it, and, and you tell her about it, she should have the right, I guess, to be able to rock that camel toe. But I think there's a limit to that rule, because this chick, she had a camel toe, no joke, just because the the, the 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 significant amount of fat around her midsec, actually all over her body, her thighs, her hips, her stomach, her neck, uh, she had a camel toe, and I'm not kidding, it hung down to her, her, her knees, and no one was telling her. And she had to pretend, I say she had to pretend that she was comfortable with it because you can't be comfortable like that. Sometimes, do you guys ever, assuming you're like a relatively healthy weight, do you ever sit down for dinner and you eat too much and you stand up and you go, oh, this is horrific. I feel horrible. Do you know, you can't put your seatbelt on, you have, to, you have to undo the top button of your jeans because you've got a little bit too, too much oats. In your tummy, you got a little bit too excited trying to hit your calories. You stand up and your stomach feels all stretched. I can only imagine that's what it feels like for these people. And then because they're getting so much attention, I think attention's the problem that's causing these things. If you can get a TikTok following by any means imaginable, people are just going to go for it. They're going to go, you know what? People call this obese. I call it body positive. This is for all the big girls out there. Now, if you're a big girl and and I, I want you to be confident, I want you to be calm. I don't want you to struggle with, with self-esteem issues. But but the idea that you're not going to feel better if you're in shape, if you're fit, if you can run 5K, if you can go to the gym, is a blatant lie. And I'm not about I'm not about living in that lie. I, I love the fact that you should be comfortable in your own skin, but the fact that you should be comfortable in your own skin wearing what this chick is wearing is I feel like if your comfort makes me uncomfortable, that should be <laughs> surely that's crossing a line. This chick made me uncomfortable. So she had these ropes just wrapped around her body, and it looked like a it looked like a, I don't know. She looked like someone had tried to tie her, tie her to a fence and somehow she had escaped. But in the process of the escape, the, the ropes had dug into her dug into her body and, and she wasn't able to get them out. And the guy she was dancing with was, was trying to look like he was... He was just grabbing like chunks of thigh, chunks of quad. She was wearing what a sexy girl should wear. 
and it wasn't sexy. I got friends that when I go to the beach, I got male friends that when, I, when we go to the beach, because they're overweight, a little bit body conscious, they won't take their shirt off. That's fine, they know their limits. If you know your limits, keep a shirt on, dress, dress right for your type. I'm pretty sure is a play on the old book, Eat Right For Your Type. If you're dressing right for the type, I've got no problem with it. It's just, it's when you start trying to tell me or start trying to act as though you're like you're 200 kilos overweight and, and, and your fat rolls are dangling down to your knees and you're trying to convince me that I'm the one who's got the problem because I don't find it sexy. That I feel like that's where a line needs to be drawn, doesn't it? I feel like that's a fair comment. But again, I'm speaking to a, to a camera in an empty room right now and you could be in the car really angry at me, and that's that's fine. Send me a message if that's true. I, I need a guy sent me a message a couple of weeks ago to say oh, it startled me when you used the word retard. Clearly, he doesn't know know me really well. That's a word I use more than I should. It's weird how words lose their meaning as well. And a word like retard's funny because uh, it's lost its true meaning. Like I'm pretty sure the word retard just means slow to slow to remember knowledge or slow to intake knowledge, which in a lot of instances, in a lot of topics is, is very true for me. The word retard's appropriate, but because some people have used it in an inappropriate way to, to, to explain people with Down syndrome, I, I think it's lost its, uh, it's lost its credibility a little bit. You can't use that without looking like an asshole. So I don't know. We go through these phases, and whatever word you use, like if you say you're slow, like I think I think that's a problem. You can't say she's fat. You can't say he's slow. You can't say um, you can't say they're black. You can't speak Chinese. It's just a, it's a weird world that we're living in right now, and I'm not that interested in playing those rules. I think they're I think they're ridiculous. There's a Chinese guy at comedy the other night. He got up and did a, a, a did an Aussie accent, and everyone thought it was funny. So I got up and did a Chinese accent. Everyone called me a racist. I was very confused. It could have been because I wasn't actually saying Chinese words. I was just making Chinese noises and pretending to use chopsticks, you know. <laughs> Context is an important thing when you're talking about race, I think. Surely. But people like to take context away from everything. The idea of context is too frustrating because it means you actually have to think through what you're saying. And in a world that just, I think, thrives on, thrives on emotion. I'm not accepting, accepting myself from that rule. Is that the word? Accepting? I'm not removing myself from that rule. I'm highly emotional. Just ask my wife. It's honestly, people often said to me when I got married, Tyus, get ready for it. Women are really emotional. Not true. My wife is, I'm not sure if she's on the, on the spectrum a little bit, but emotion's not a thing for her. Like she's beautiful, most beautiful woman I've ever met, but the idea of her getting baffled or upset by something I say just doesn't happen. The idea of me getting upset by her telling me she doesn't like my t-shirt is highly likely to upset me. In my relationship, I'm the woman. I don't know, it's easier to rely on emotion, isn't it? Because my heart starts beating, my emotions start pumping. Like the other day I walked in, this is the thing, I've, I've been so over wearing masks lately and I've just been able to throw away the, the line, I've got a medical exemption and no one asks any questions because I don't think legally you're supposed to. Now, again, that's me making emotional statements because I don't know the actual law. I don't, I don't know for sure. But I went to drop my little boy off at daycare the other day. There's no one around and none of the ladies who work there have a mask on. And I got to the front door and the lady said, hey, can I ask you to put a mask on? And it was more the attitude it was asked with, to be honest. It was more the attitude. She goes, look, if you don't have a mask, we've got spare masks for you. And immediately I thought, don't punch her. <laughs> that was my first thought, which people aren't going to like because you don't let her punch women. But I was just, I guess the positive is I thought, hey, don't do it. That's a step in the right direction. If my first response had been, I'm going to punch this chick. And then my second had to thought had to be don't because... First of all, she's just a lady trying to earn a job, at, uh, earn, earn some money at a job she probably doesn't like. 
Second of all, she's just trying to enforce a rule that she's been required to, by law, to enforce. She probably disagrees with it. She probably doesn't like it. But some people take that approach of, they love that idea of being able to police you. I think that's the vibe I get. They love this idea of being able to police you. And if they can tell you what to do, the opportunity to do that, it's just good to, to pass up. So I got in there. It was just a little attitude. If you don't have a mask, we've got a mask for you. And so she, I said, hey, I appreciate that, but uh, I got a medical exemption. And you know, she looked at me like this, which was the right response because what I was saying was not true. <laughs> but, but I didn't want to tell her that because now I was, uh, now I was in, a, now I was in combat. But the problem with combat is, uh, like, to continue on with what I was saying about emotions before, the problem with that situation is immediately I felt my heart race up, and this time, one part of my brain said, "Now you should punch." Now you should punch. There was a massive part of my brain that just wanted to d- d- jump the counter, get in a little choker hold. <laughs> I think they still have uh, limits of 1.5 meters. So if you go beyond that, if you go close to the 1.5 meters to the person, it's a uh, it's a, a guarantee for COVID. So I didn't do that. First of all, because I reckon Charlie, my boy, would have got removed from daycare. Second of all, because Omicron still, you know, being studied, no one knows whether it can be be spread through a choker hold. And thirdly, it's because I realized I was overreacting. So I had to come home, put together a real fancy one on Canva. <laughs> Just so this Thursday when I go in, I can go, here's your COVID pass. Because does anyone really know what they look like? I told you the other week that that I I often now I just go around with my wife's COVID pass just to say, hey guys, they say, have you got a have you got your your, your pass? And I go, here it is. They just see the green line. They go, hey, welcome to our store. I go, thank you very much. Um, but no one's actually stopped me to ID me. No one really cares. They're just doing the bare minimum, which makes me so proud. It's a really good thing to see. I've been I've been out and about the last couple of days, and some people haven't been haven't been really even asking for it. Like last night, I had a I had a gig in the city, which man, I oh, you're gonna this is gonna blow your mind. What I'll tell you about in a minute, but I'll tell you that in a minute. But before I did, I was a little bit earlier. I went down to Northcote, a beautiful part of Melbourne where all the hipsters live. That's where I go. We get organic veggies. Do you know what I mean? Because we're, uh, we got the money to spend on veggies is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. We just go down really good value, uh, cheap organic vegetables at Terra Madre. So I went down there in Thornbury, I think it is. And then I still had like an hour and a half till I needed to be at my gig. So I went up to a little Vietnamese, uh, little Vietnamese restaurant uh, got my journal, got ready for the for the gig that night, went inside, and the lady goes, hey, what's going on? I said, just want a table for myself, please. Wanted to get some vegetable fur. And she said, you know what was so beautiful? She just says, take a seat. There was no bull crap. I need to see your, your vaccine passport. This is starting to slip. People are starting to get shaky. I'm not sure if that's true, though, because t- traditionally speaking, Vietnamese aren't as strict at enforcing the rule of COVID passports, to my experience. I'm not sure if that's got something to do with coming out of a, a formerly communist country. I'm pretty sure there was a there was a pretty strong grip of... I know that... Was it the French that tried to have a crack? Yeah, they tried to colonise... Wasn't that what the, the Vietnam War was about? I was watching a documentary the other day because I, I just had no idea about how that war started. I didn't realise it had so much to do with the French coming over and, uh, you know, doing their little imperialism thing and the, uh, and the Vietnamese starting to fire up and say, hey, Americans come and help us. I don't know. I could have just butchered the history of the Vietnam War. I'm sure I did, but... Um, I mean, they, I reckon they're not the kind of guys that get pushed around. You know what I mean? And even if a even if a white guy wants to try and push him around, they're just going to hide in a hole, pop up in the middle of the bush, and shoot him in the foot. Go back into the hole, run away, and do the same to another. That's why the Vietnam War was so confusing, I think, because the Americans they had all this ridiculous machinery and equipment. But then you get up there for like a little bit of guerrilla warfare in the bush, and some guy's hiding in a tunnel that he's dug with his bare hands, um, with a bayonet in his in his mouth. 
You go past there, he pokes his head up, chops your foot off. <laughs> you have to, you have to hobble. No wonder there were so many issues that came out of the Vietnam War. I mean, Jesse's Jesse's granddad went and fought in the Vietnam War, and he came back and struggled with alcohol. He sadly took his own life in maybe two thousand and five, I reckon. And that's not uncommon those stories. But I mean, there's some crazy stuff taking place in Vietnam, isn't there? Like, do you see those videos of the monks back in the day setting themselves on fire? That was terrifying. I don't know why I watched it the other day because I've got a weak stomach, but I watched it on YouTube and uh, it was a video that said, uh, you know, it came up with a warning. This video contains graphic uh, graphic images. Are you sure you want to watch it? I clicked absolutely. And then about 30 seconds in, just as the flames had been lit, I, I feel as though they should have put a, a more strict warning on what it was that I was consuming with my eyes because the fact was I was very uncomfortable. I couldn't believe it. And the, the amount that the guy didn't flinch when he was on fire was baffling. It was utterly baffling. Like, say what you want about Buddhists, but to reach that state of meditation where you've got, you've got actual flames coming off all of your body and you're, you're still being able to maintain the lotus position. I can't even maintain lotus position when I'm just trying to do yoga. My hips are too tight. This guy did it covered in flames. He held it until his body just collapsed sideways on the floor. If that was me, I would have been the kind of guy that said, no, I'm going to do it. And then the moment I felt the petrol on my back, I would have, I would have started sprinting down the street because the idea, that's terrifying. There's a lady here in, in Werribee the other day, like, God God bless her. I, I, I think she's still alive. I hope, I guess I hope she is. I guess your life is a, it takes a pretty radical turn when you've set yourself on fire. But she was at an intersection here in Werribee, which is sort of like a town about an hour out of Melbourne. She set herself on fire in her car saying vaccine mandates are killing us. No one cares uh, how's that for a bloody visual statement? But I don't know. It's just a, sorry to come at you with that graphic. That, that that was very graphic. I'm disappointed that I brought it to you, especially because I was just trying to tell you about the fact that the Vietnamese lady didn't ask me about my COVID passport. I went in there. They get confused because I ordered a vegetarian fur with a beef broth. She said to me, she goes, you, you want the vegetarian fur? I said, yes. And she goes, and you want the beef broth? She goes, you're a vegetarian? I said, not really. She goes, that makes more sense. I thought you were for a minute. I was like, you're a hypocrite to your own rule. I said, this is a lot more information than I was expecting. I just wanted my fur if I could. I said, I like the texture of the tofu more than I like the texture of the chicken. She said, what's the matter with our chicken? I said, nothing's the matter with your chicken. I just honestly just wanted to come in here, sit down, and enjoy my little fur. So if you can go and get to it, she said, don't be rude. So I'm very sorry. So, so I had this fur and this chick, she was lovely walking around. She kept coming past going, hey, how's the fur? I said, it's still fantastic. She goes, beautiful, beautiful. I'm so glad. 30 seconds later, are you still enjoying I'm still enjoying You know, that last mouthful was as good as the first one. She said, I'm so glad. She said, this is my family restaurant. I said, I know. I've been coming here for years. We've met multiple times. My name's Tyson. You know that. She said, Tyson, I'm sorry. You're not that much of a memorable guy. I said, I know that because I came in here with my friend a couple of months ago. It was the second time you met him. You said to him, do you just want the usual? And to me, you said, okay, can I help you, sir? Oh, <laughs> uh, so... A story about how hurtful is that to go to a restaurant on a regular basis to know the lady to go in again and her not remember your meal and then to take your good looking handsome friend in and she says to him on his second visit just the regular <laughs> and I was looking good I'm feeling quite tanned I've, I've been out in the sun lately I've been getting down to Melbourne people going Tyce you're looking very good so now the more they say it the more I request it not request it on purpose not to an extent that they would know exactly what it is that I was doing but I mean I go down there and 
and, and I sort of say, hey, how you been? They say, yeah, good, how have you been? I say, yeah, obviously been getting a lot of sun. And then I pause and wait for them to say, wow, it's working, you look fantastic. But honestly, I think it's just expressing a, a lack of confidence in, 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 you know, just, I guess, just in who I am as a man. <laughs> it seems to be the only correct take on that particular situation. I'm not sure if I've read too far into it, but I mean, if you're going to Melbourne hoping that someone compliments you, I've been through a brutal couple of weeks, though. I told you about the chick who guessed that I was 43. I mean, that, that ruffles up the confidence feathers a little bit, doesn't it? You can't be... You can't be being told that you're 43 when you're 34 and, and just assume that you're looking good. I'd never had that before. I was speaking to a, a guy yesterday. I went out for a little mandate with my mate down in Ocean Grove to another cafe that didn't ask for any vac. This, we're, they're slipping. The Victorian government's losing their, losing their ability to regulate these rules. I think restaurants, cafes, they're starting to take it less seriously, which is beautiful. Sometimes I forget my phone. I told you about that before. I don't, I don't cling to my phone. So when I get down to a place and they say, have you got your vaccine passport? I say, I do, but it's not present. They say, it sounds like you're making an excuse. I said, well, the excuse is I don't have my phone. They said, it's not valid. You, you need to leave. You need to go. So that makes me pretty happy. Yeah, but, but a guy down there last, uh, yesterday, he walked past. He goes, hey, how you doing? Uh, he goes, I've got a daughter about your age. This is skipping a lot of information in the conversation. I said, oh, beautiful. He goes, how old are you? He goes, 28. I said, you thought I looked 28? I go, thank you very much. I got taught I look 43. He goes, mate, you look 28. I was actually thinking you might have been younger. So what I'm saying is Mugu moisturizer is working. My hydration plan is working. My exposure to the sun is causing the premature crow's feet to form around my eyes, some deeper crevices in my forehead to, to creep in, but it's all part of the journey of, of getting older. Dallas Green from City of Color, City and Color says, uh, I wear a map. I don't know the lyrics. It's one of my favorite songs and I've forgotten the lyrics. What are the lyrics? I wear a... Something about wearing a map on his face of the places he's traveled. What he's trying to do is justify his, his wrinkles, which I think is beautiful. I think a man should be able to justify his wrinkles just like a woman Botoxes herself to pretend she doesn't have them. If all I have to do is just justify them so I don't have to get Botox, that's fine. But I think there's honestly been a few moments where I've looked at myself in the mirror, realized that the moisturizer I've placed on my face is actually just, it's soaking in the, in the crevices in my face. Is it crevices, creases, the wrinkles? They're quite deep. When you smile and then remove the smile, if you see moisturizer pop back out, it suggests that the spring that it's got from that, uh, that hole that it's been in, like a little Everest uh, crevasse, I think they call it, was too deep, had too much spring out of there, couldn't wait to get out. I'm scared to see what I look like at 50, honestly. If you thought I looked 43 when I'm 34, I'm gonna be terrified to see how old I look when I'm actually 43. Unless something radical happens in the next couple of years, because I've been telling my wife for, for a long time that she's married up, which is like, calm as a bitch, do you know what I mean? Because to say that so consistently for so long, to be told that you look way older than you are is, is I don't know, it's staggering. Anyway, I love the Vietnamese is what I'm trying to say. I love the Vietnamese. I feel like they like me too. There's something about me and Vietnamese people that just get along. I walked in last night and the, the lady, the poor lady, the little girl, she just uh, she just put a, a tofu bun, I think is what it's called, in her mouth. And she was so embarrassed because she just put a tofu bun. I made the immature mistake of going up after her first bite and saying, hey, how are you? She got so embarrassed she put her mask on so I couldn't see her chew. <laughs> I said, I know you're chewing. And she put her hands over her eyes like, like that, that stuff. It was, it was very cute, but I felt very bad for her. I could still see her jaw moving under, 
under the uh, under the mask. I knew she was chewing and, and, and she was shaking her head like I'm not. It's like my wife before we got married. Sometimes she would wear a loose shirt because my wife and I were very conservative. We didn't have sex till we got married. We met in the church scene and and that was something that we thought, you know what, this is what we're going to do. So we didn't have sex and and, and just as a just as an opportunity, just as a step to help us. If like I'm a, I'm a visual man. If I started seeing boobs left, right, and center, I would have panicked. I would have pounced. Do you know? So every now and then, my wife, she's got some hippie vibes going on about her. She'd wear a loose-fitting shirt without a bra. She'd bend down. I would say full boob. And I'd go, oh my gosh, I just saw your boob. And she'd go, no, you didn't. I said, babe, I did. I liked it. Why have I got an erection? <laughs> she goes, no, you don't. I'd push up against her hip to prove it. She goes, hey, come on now. Settle down. This is, that might be attractive if I did something of the equivalent to you. But for you, having an erection pushed up against my hips, very uncomfortable. Especially in the same room as my mother. I go, oh, your mother's been here before. She's got three kids. Leanne's sitting there just doing this, <laughs> covering her eyes. I just go up and push her on her shoulder. What a disgusting comment for a so-called Christian man to make. This is the problem. Comedy has, it's tainted, it's tainted my, uh, my filter. So, so rather than say, uh, holding back things that I shouldn't say, I, I just say them. I've got the camera that this is being recorded on, resting on a book uh, by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. It's a spiritual book about practicing. And beneath that, another one. It's called The Intentional Father. Two books. And I feel like this podcast is doing uh, disgrace to both of those. Anyway, that's just what I'm going through a little bit at the moment. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to pause this temporarily because the camera's about to cut out. All right? Actually, what I'm going to do, I'll, I'll keep talking because my camera is going to cut out. No, here, here's what's happening. I'm pausing it. There we go. We're back. See, in that moment that, that I just paused it, the, the camera would have cut out because it only has a lifespan of 29 minutes and 59 seconds. I don't totally understand that, but, but here we are. We're back, and hopefully this, uh, this next section will take us through to the, to the end of the podcast. So uh, that was the story about my wife. Vietnamese people like me. Now, I, I think they like me. I've, I've probably got a tainted... Uh, a slightly tainted read. I didn't know how freely hand jobs were offered out by masseuses when you're in Vietnam. I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I went to 2018. I moved back from London to to Australia. So my wife and I spent a couple of years in London. Now at the end of that trip in London, my wife went to Scotland for a couple of weeks with her friend. I went to Vietnam for a couple of weeks with my mum. Now, as a part of that journey, just for, for no no uh, dirty reasons whatsoever, I was very I was very uh, clean. I was a married man. I'm faithful to my wife, uh, even in Vietnam, which is the ultimate sign of a faithful man, I'm sure. Um, especially when I tell you this story. But uh, I, we were going out for massages. I said to my mum one night, I said, hey, let's go out and get a massage. And uh, so we walked past a, a massage place called Paradise City. I walked in, absolute glamour of a Vietnamese chick. I thought, please don't be massaging me. And uh, and and anyway, uh, uh, needless to say, she was. So we went upstairs, and my mum was in one room. I was in the other room. When I say room, it was separated by a sheet that just went down the side. Now, this is a sign that I felt like I must have been looking pretty good on this particular night because uh, she said to me, oh, down to your jocks, please, which is my, my Vietnamese accent's not great, and people get funny when you do it. Whatever reason, you can do a French accent, but when I, when I try and do a Vietnamese accent, people get uptight, probably because of the French. I think maybe because the French uh, had so much to do in a negative um, sort of way on the... I don't know. I'm not sure. Why is it? Maybe it's the people who try and colonise a place. It's okay to mimic them, but the people who have attempted to have been colonised, you can't mimic that because of our history. 
I don't know. I'm reading too far into it. But I went to this, I went to this massage place. Had my mum next door, separated by a thin sheet. And she said, "Take off your clothes, sit on the bench." Now I, I did what she asked. I was down just in my jocks. I thought I'd keep those on. But but what happened? She took her camera out and started taking photos. And I knew she was taking photos because the flash on her camera was going off, and the camera was facing me. And I said, "Hey, what?" And she wasn't shy about it. I go, are you taking photos of me? She goes, yes, it's for my friends. I was like, in Australia, you would be done for sexual assault, I'm pretty sure. I feel like I've just been me too'd. Do you know what I mean? I didn't even have time to brush my hair or pose. How did my stomach look? Can you show me? Let me love heart the ones I like. I want you to send these ones out to your friend. For the others, maybe keep it to yourself. And, uh, and she didn't. She sent them all through because she showed me. She said, I'll let them choose. I said, okay, well... This is hurtful. She said, jump on the bed. So I laid down on the bed. She started massaging. Now, remember, my mum's next door. And even if she wasn't, it would still be in an uncomfortable position for a married man to be in. She started massaging, started massaging the upper leg. And she started doing the cheeky, what I later discovered was called the ball graze. Now, it doesn't matter who, like, if, if you're laying down and the ball grazes, that's a sensitive area. There's a lot of nerves in that area. So as a result, your brain sends a message to that part of your body to say, hey, get, get ready. Things are about to heat up. Now, the other part of my brain said, no, no, you're a faithful man, which I, is, is, the, is the brainwave I'm going with. But at the same time, you're still rocking what I was pressing up against Jesse before we got married when I saw that loose hanging shirt. Now, she, she noticed this, which was very obvious because my jocks were tight and it was, it, was, it, was her, it was her goal all along. And she said to me, ooh, someone's excited. I go, look, please don't. Like, you have to talk about this right now. This is very embarrassing. I started doing this. Uh, like pointing to, but I couldn't, I couldn't steam out. I couldn't just jump out of the room because my mum was next door and she would have been laughing. She thought, would have thought it was, I already heard her laughing because the lady next door had started trying to massage mum's boobs. And it was just, a, it was just an event that we got caught up in that we hadn't anticipated. But she kept saying to me, oh, let me fix it. And I was like, I, I don't want you to fix it. Like, oh, oh, just please don't, please stop touching it. She goes, oh, come on, let me fix it. I go, look, I'm a married man. And she started going, I come to your hotel room, I fix it there. I go, I'm staying with my mum and I'm married. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She goes, oh, wait for mummy to leave. I go, whoa, what the heck? I go, how much is that? No, that wasn't the question. I didn't ask that question. But there was a, so what I'm saying is Vietnamese and I have a, we have a very close relationship. There's nowhere in Australia where, like, I'm pretty sure that's what Gillian, Gillian, is it Gillian or Gillian? I'm pretty sure that's what Gillian and Maxwell's up for. Uh, she's getting charged for it at the moment, isn't she? She was like the, the middle, I, I guess the girls that she was dealing with were underage. That was probably the main difference. I think she's more in trouble for being a pedophile rather than just giving out massages. I, I'm quite sure the girl who was trying to massage me was actually significantly younger than me. I would actually be very terrified to, to see her photo ID because it. I, I think it wouldn't have been good. Do you know what I mean? In Australia, I wouldn't fly. She wouldn't have got a job at that particular place. But that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And then from that Vietnamese restaurant that I went to, I was all filled up on fur with beef broth, went to the comedy room down on Brunswick Street in the city. Now, we were having a great night. Let me tell you this story, though, because it was one of the most intense experiences that I'd ever had as a stand-up comedian. Three years that I've been doing it, I was on stage. Now, I was the, the night had been going for about an hour. The audience was starting to get a little bit restless. There were some drinks that were flowing freely. People were, uh, especially some people, they, were, they had had far more than they should. Now... I haven't listened back to the tape of last night's gig because I don't want to rehear the sound of what took place when I was on stage. But I was on stage, I had a clear view of the rest of the audience, and at the back of the room there was a man, he looked like he was causing a little bit of chaos. There was some noise, there was some ruckus, 
And I was doing my best just to focus on getting through my jokes because uh, it's really difficult. When you're on stage, there's people at the back of the room. It throws out your time. You can see people looking around. It's harder to have a good gig when the rest of the audience is sort of looking around to see what that noise is. But I could see, I got the vibe that there was almost a fight breaking out. There was a guy at the back of the room. I think from what I heard later, he was talking to a woman. The woman wanted nothing. So one of the guys, one of the best guys in the comedy scene. uh, I'm going to go as far as to say nicest guy in the comedy scene. Do you know? Despite the fact that label's given to me multiple times. I don't like to give that up easily. This guy's nicer than me. Lovely. Now, he saw what was happening, and he also saw that I was on stage. And I had a couple of my mates at the back trying to stop this guy making noise. One of my mates, Akuzi, turned around and goes to this guy, Hey, dude, keep it down, man. My mate's on stage. And uh, anyway, he didn't stop. So another guy, my mate, went up to him, grabbed him, just went to move him away. Uh, now this guy who grabbed him wasn't, he's a, he's a pretty thin guy, he's not a masculine guy in the sense that he's, he's mu- I meant to say muscular, you know what I mean? If you're listening to this, you're, you're masculine, alright, whatever that means. I get accused of not being that either when I'm wearing mascara and walking around in Jesse's knickers. But, but this guy, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm that masculine, you need to balance it out with some knickers. But this guy grabbed him, went to move him. Now we're on a solid concrete floor. The guy he moved, he's tripped on his own feet from what I could tell and smacked his head. Now I heard the crack from the front of the room. It was a horrific sound. And you know those moments, I had my mate sitting at the back of, at back of the room. He turned around to see, to see what had happened. Now, you know those situations where something happens and the energy in the room that you're in is just zapped out because something serious has just taken place? We were in one of those. We were in one of those. Now, my mate turned around, saw what had happened. He turned to me at stage and just went like this, like, no, no. All right, we're done. Get off, get off, Tyson. I'd been up there for about five minutes. There was no way to bring the audience back. But then girls at the back of the room started crying because I never, I didn't realize there was that much blood stored in someone's head. There was pools of blood. It was, it was horrific. It was horrific. Everyone started walking down. I was luckily far enough away from it that I, I had a re, I, I had no reason to walk down there and see it. I'm not great with those situations. I don't like to see blood and gore. And when I see people sort of dry reaching and, and, and crying, I think, okay, I definitely don't want to see this. But um, but this guy, he was out cold. I, I'm guessing at least 10 minutes out cold. And everyone, we've heard horror stories about these before. We were thinking, um, we we're thinking, Farah, this is, this is horrific. This is horrific. We've just killed a guy. Now, I was on stage. I made the premature joke. I had a heap of people coming up to me and say, Tyce, you okay? I know you saw that. I go, mate, how crazy is it? It's the first time I've literally killed on stage. They go, no, no, Tass, way, way too soon. We actually don't know whether he's been killed. I go, no, that's the sort of, that's the joke I was going for because we don't know if he, they go, Tass, you know what? I wish I didn't come and talk to you. I said, that's probably fair enough. That's probably fair enough. So there was about eight of us standing down there. I was waiting for that joke to sink in because I thought surely it'll get a laugh soon. But the longer the guy didn't wake up, the less funny my call became. Do you know what I mean? I tried it again one more time with a new group of people who came up. Hey guys, first time I killed. They go, no, 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 wrong time, mate. Wrong time. I go, oh, well, you guys are sensitive. <laughs> but it was, I was joking, trying to lighten it up. But man, this guy was out. We were, I saw the guy who tried to move him uh, when the trip happened. He looked like he's about to grow. I was going through my mind going, far right, there's going to be prison sentences thrown out here. This is the last time this comedy show is going to happen. Anyway, the guy eventually woke up. You know what his first words were? Am I right to go? <laughs> The ambulance officers were standing all around him. And he goes, uh, am I right to go? Everyone's like, no, you're not right to go, mate. You're not right to go. It's uh, You have to stay here for a, for a long, long time. I'm not great with that. 
I don't, he got taken to hospital. I had a chat to his mates. I think he's going to be okay. Do you know what I mean? Please, just baby Jesus, let him be okay. Because I know that there's some brain hemorrhaging and stuff that happens in those situations. And I wish nothing but the best for this guy. But how's that? Her, I, I was the wrong guy to be on stage for that moment. Because one night, I woke up. For whatever reason, my wife's family, uh, uh, they, they have a lot of fainting accidents. I'm not sure what's going on there. There's something, there's something going on that shouldn't be happening. But... But I woke up one night, uh, my son was about three months old, and, and I heard a bang. I woke up, my wife's laying in the shoe cupboard. And I thought, oh, great. My, I, said, I, I said, oh, babe, you all right? No comment. I said, babe, what are you doing? Anyway, I turned on the light, my wife's face down in the shoe cupboard like this. I thought, oh, my God, like I'm a single father. Um, I can't believe it's all just ended like this. She was out. I started panicking. I quickly joined Tinder, started swiping, needed to find a new woman to help me raise my son. By the time I'd started my profile, Jesse was away. That's not true. I had, it was Bumble. I was on Bumble. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. I've got a weak stomach. So just the idea of seeing people not in their natural state, I go, all right, well, this is not ideal. This is not ideal. And when there's blood pouring from the head, I just go, nah. My wife cut my little boy's fingernails too short six months ago, I go, and I was, I was dry reaching. I'm the wrong man to have... In, in, in a situation where there's something serious. I've got a, I've got a real appreciation for people who, um, what do you say? Uh, who can handle that? One of, my, one of my friends around the corner here, he's an ambulance officer. Sometimes he comes and tells me horrific stories and he, and he starts the story with, hey, are you sure, are you, sure you want to hear this? Like I heard, he told me a story once about a police officer who saw, so they went out to Werribee and there was a, there was a, a suicide in Werribee by a guy who cut his own head off. Cut it off. Com not completely. I was going to say completely to emphasize the point, but I never know that was... You've got to be in a dark place. Like if, you're, if you're suicidal, I don't think that's the right way. Like there's got to be easier ways to do it. There's got to be... Obviously, there's got to be better ways to do it. There's got to be... There's millions of options, which I'm so sad people don't know. I'm not talking about options as to how you can do it. I'm talking about options to get over whatever it is, whatever it is you're going through that's making you feel that way. Because we go through rough patches, don't we? But you've got to remember that once you get through those rough patches, there's there's almost a gratefulness for a lot of people that they get through. But but some people, you've got to be in a dark place and, and, and on drugs in a heavy way, I'd imagine. Because you want to, like, oh, I can't even talk about it without cringing. Anyway, far out. That took a dark turn. The guy's okay. I'm sure he's okay. But I can't make jokes like that anymore. I can't make jokes about killing it on stage. This is coming from a bloke who, at my nan's funeral, I, um, so my nan died about three years ago. She got cremated. And, uh, and to, try and, to try and ease the tension, me and my, me and my Uncle Pete got her, uh, got her ashes and we started shaking it like this and singing a song. And the whole family was laughing because they were so shocked at what was taking place that family members of the woman whose funeral we were at were using her ashes in the actual urn as, a, as an instrument. We were using it as a shaker. We're like, come on, everybody now, shake <laughs> shake. Nan's just in there going, oh, stop shaking me. My nose is in my asshole. And so, oh, oh what do you do, though? Like there's different people respond to, to intense life situations in different ways. Some people cry. Some people use their nan's ashes as a shaker to make a funny song. Some people don't like that. Most people don't like that. All the people at my nan's funeral, apart from me and my uncle Pete, didn't like that. They laughed because they were shocked. But once what had taken place had had really sunk in, they they got quite aggressive, quite angry at the situation, which was 
I don't know if they were angry I was shaking my nan or angry that I was out of key. So I tried to do one more song and someone came up to me, grabbed nan's ashes off me and said, Tyce, what you're doing is disgusting. I said, I don't know how to, I don't do harmonies. <laughs> you can't even go on a plate for trying. They're like, well, the whole ceremony is waiting to bury the ashes. Right, come on, one more song. Me and Uncle Peter just sitting there going, woo! <laughs> Nanny Pitt would have loved it. She wouldn't have, she would have been embarrassed. But she wasn't there to say anything, do you know what I mean? So let's just put words in her mouth. Anyway, so I've revealed a little bit about myself today just there. Uh, probably some character flaws. I really need to read the book that this camera's resting on, I've realised, because uh, a lot of what I've said is, has revealed a dark part of my personality, which needs attention, I think. I need to meditate more and read my Bible. <laughs> which is fine. Anyway. Surely there's got to be some benefit to the fact that I'm talking about that. That's not neurotic, is it? It's when you store... I'm pretty sure Carl Jung says that when you store up your trauma, that's when, like, neuroticism starts to kick in because you don't know how to deal with the crazy feelings that you're feeling, the crazy thoughts that you're having. Sure, that's what's beautiful about comedy, isn't it? You can say whatever everyone wishes they could say, and only people in Melbourne get angry at you because, like, these lefty elitist wankers feel as though that it's not appropriate to, uh, to I don't know... I'm not sure. You can't mimic a Chinese accent, but you can use the iPhones of which the slaves make them on. That's a, that's the ultimate irony, isn't it? Like, we're all about equality and don't cheese tease Chinese people and look after them and slaves are horrific. And, and we all tweet about it on our iPhone, which is... which is, Whenever someone tweets something like that, I just I, I can't handle it because I go, hang on a second, what you're saying does not match up. It doesn't add up. It's uh, I appreciate the gesture. I appreciate the sentiment. I love the fact that you think you care. But the truth is that this, there's more going on than what you realise. And you can't live like that either as well. Because everything I own is Chinese, I'm pretty sure. Apart from my wife. <laughs> she hates it when I say I own her. If she heard me say I own my wife just then, she'd get angry at me. But she's not listening to this right now, so I can get away with it. I don't own my wife. Do you know what I mean? Despite the contract that she signed says I do. Sometimes I let her out. <laughs> I let her get a thermo mix the other day as well. So you can't own a woman when she asks, can she spend two and a half grand on a, on a thermo mix? And I say, what is a thermo mix? She says, it does the cooking for you. I say, what are you talking about? Does the, you do the cooking for me. That's the, <laughs> that's the whole thing. You don't need a thermo mix. You already do the cooking for me. There's no benefit in this for me. She goes, no, babe, it's perfect. When you stir the risotto, when it makes risotto, it stirs it for you. I said, sweetie, you've made risotto in the 10 years that we've been married. What are you talking about? It's over $1,200 a stir. It's a rip-off. <laughs> now we get it home. She goes, it's so easy to cook in this. You should cook a couple of nights a week. So now I've spent two and a half grand and, and, and I have to cook twice a week. It's ridiculous. I don't know. So I'm going to start making risotto if it stirs it for you is my, uh, is my rule. Because I've got no real appreciation for cooking. I, when my wife's not home, I just do beans and rice. It's easy. Open the can of chickpeas, nice protein, vegetarian sauce. Quite light. Makes you fart. That's okay. A lot of meals do. Uh, a little bit of brown rice, nutritional brown rice, as the Japanese restaurant that I went to with my friend the other day uh, called it. I was looking at the menu. I ordered my vegetarian, uh, I said, I want a vegetarian stir fry, a uh, vegetarian fried rice. And uh, she goes, would you like the white rice or the nutritional brown rice? So I love that because the brown rice was $2 cheaper. So I think as a marketing strategy, what they've done is said, no, no, it's nutritional though. So for anyone who might have just kick-started a diet, not super familiar with the nutritional value of the food that they're eating, I think that $2 uh, that you're going to spend more is justified when you realize that you're purchasing, purchasing nutritional brown rice huh? with all the fiber, that white rice without that shell on it, just that high glycemic index. Look at me showing off my nutritional. I hope I'm right. I'm not sure if I am. 
Anyway, that's $16.95, very good meal. Nutritional brown rice went down a treat. A lot of people, that was an hour, I'm not sure if this is true. Apparently, uh, like my old pastor used to say that if he got on stage and preached after he'd just eaten, he'd feel real sluggish. And I kind of get that, because sometimes when, when I've had a big meal, when I've been eating too much, like on a Christmas lunch, I always fall asleep after I've had a big meal. So the idea of being on your toes and, and, and just ready to fire off some jokes an hour after a meal seems a little harder to get your head around when you when you put it in context like, like that. Excuse me. But... um. Uh, yeah, so last night's gig, I was going relatively well until that guy was murdered. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't, that's why it's funny, do you know what I mean? Still too soon, I can hear all your voices. I don't, I don't, I say I don't care, but I do care. I'd like to formally apologise to all of you, the family of the loved ones. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're just jealous because I killed. No, come on, stop it. Ridiculous, he's fine. He made it through the night, he's got an ice pack on his head, he'll be there next Thursday. Not sure why though, there's no comedy there next Thursday. The comedy night last night was Sunday. I'm pretty sure they've lost their license to do comedy. You can't, a lot of people were saying, like, you can't go back and do comedy after that. I don't see why not. I, I feel as though, like, the, the, the comedy store in um, in LA, that's got, apparently it's got bullet holes from where one of the comedians tried to shoot some other guy. And, and that's just, like, the history of the venue. If you go back to that venue now, and you go, hey, that's where the bloke's head leaked two litres of blood on the floor, you can still see the stains. People go, Wow. This is this this place has got culture. This place has been around for a little while. But uh, anyway, my wife bought a thermomix. Is is what that story started with. So I got to start cooking more. Wait, I wanted to ask you. Speaking about tripping over that bloke tripping. The other day, I was walking along my little beach walk here. I was walking up towards a couple of glamours, and I tripped on nothing. Do you know what I mean? And I, I my, my personal uh, approach, when you trip on nothing in front of people, you have to look back at the nothing that you tripped on as though there was something there. It, it almost serves as a justification for you having tripped. Like, if you've got no reason to have tripped in that situation and you just tripped, you look like a dickhead. Now, it doesn't stop these people from laughing because they did. They did laugh at me and I walked past and I said, oh, it's funny when you trip on nothing, isn't it? You tripped on, I just tripped over on whatever there was back there. They're all like, there's nothing there. I was like, no, there's something. There's a big bug just ran across the pavement. I bloody tripped on it, the little dickhead. <laughs> they go, you're an embarrassment to yourself and to us and we want nothing to do with you. That's very fault. I just was gone for a walk. And now, what are you supposed to do? What's the correct response to that? Because the only one that you can do without looking like a dickhead, I think, is own it and then be quick enough to make a joke to anyone who's seen you. But the problem is, if the people who have seen you trip from 100 metres away, they're too far away to make a witty call. And if you walk to them for the next minute and you get to them, your witty call looks well thought out, well planned. It's no longer funny. The idea of like quick wit is it's funny because it was so fast. It sort of alleviates the tension, I think, of what had just taken place because everyone wants that awkwardness to be evaporated. It's like when you see people walking towards you and you know that person, they're 100 metres away. What time is it appropriate to wave to that person? Because if you wave from 100 metres away, you've still got 95 metres to walk until you see. How many waves can you do in that 95 metres without it being awkward? It's like seeing someone on aisle four when you're down at the supermarket, then getting to aisle five and seeing them again and saying, oh, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> do you know? Just like, and then you see them again on aisle six and it gets less funny. And then you just pretend you forgot something in the ice cream aisle. Then you see them at the checkout. It's just embarrassing. So I want to know, what's the most appropriate way? Have you got any good strategies for dealing with that? Because if so, I need to know what they are because I trip a lot. 
I trip a significant amount of my day. A lot. Each walk I go for, I trip not completely, but just enough to notice. I don't lift my feet high enough, and there's a lot of uneven concrete sort of uh, blocks along where I walk. It's not, I don't think, it's a very smooth path. I, path. I ride my skateboard there often. I shouldn't be riding a skateboard with the amount that I trip, because the truth is I'll fall and stumble and hurt myself. And I'll look ridiculous and people will laugh at me and try and pretend it's okay. And I'll have to come up with a witty joke despite the fact they're a long way away and my joke doesn't look witty anymore. It's hard to look confident when you've fallen over. That's what I've always said. That's what I learned when I was younger. If you fall over, you look like you're dickhead and there's no way around. The high levels of confidence is something that I'm very interested in. But sometimes, like I was saying about this chick with the with the TikTok video who was 400 kilos overweight, she I don't know that she was confident as much as she was just getting paid. There's a certain level of I'm not always confident when I when I get on stage at comedy, but because I love it and I want to improve, I can I can get through the discomfort and the lack of confidence that I might feel at a particular time. And I, I feel like there's certain things that you can do which allow you to get through the lack of confidence that you may feel at any particular moment. I think an audience is a really big thing for that. So TikTok is all about an audience and getting famous over really just bullshit videos is, is, is what I understand. Mind you, that sounds like a very cynical 34-year-old man who doesn't quite understand the platform thing to say. But it also just could be a 34-year-old man who understands the platform is being used purely to advertise, to uh, sort of commodify our attention and to make people want to be famous is where that cynicism's coming from. Maybe the cynicism's valid. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe I'm not the problem, huh? Maybe the platform's the problem. Sorry, that was a little more aggressive than I'm, I am towards you. I love you guys. I shouldn't I shouldn't speak to you like that. We're a, we're a unit here. We're all friends here. You've spent this long with me. I feel like I shouldn't let my emotions get the better of me because I don't understand a, a Chinese social media platform with heavy restrictions on what's allowed to be said in relation to their government. I don't know. Social media is good, but it's just a, it wouldn't be as good as being able to be honest, is what I think. And I also wonder how much virtue signaling comes from, you know how people want to make a public statement about how good a person they are? How much of that public statement is just done based on how many likes they get? I've been through the phase. Remember when there was that shooting in France a couple of years ago? Everyone put that Pray for France logo over their picture. I did it and thought I was a good person for it. Then I realized what I was doing was virtue signaling and I was essentially just trying to say, hey everyone, look how special I am. Look at me. I don't know. And we in Australia, we used to have those, um, we used to have these uh, these big photos of like an immigrant. So someone who'd come over from, I don't know, I think they were Hindu. It was a photo or a painting of a guy with like those warrior, what is it? Is it a Sikh? Is it a Sikh who, I know Sikhs do wear, I think Sikhs wear those headscarves, but I'm not sure what the religion is. But anyway, there's a photo of one of those guys, a brown guy, and it just had a massive saying across the top. It said, this guy's an Aussie. And I remember posting it and being like, yeah, take that. But like, he's, he's Aussie, but culturally, do you know what I mean? Traditionally, he's not. He's not an Aussie in the sense that he wasn't born here. I guess maybe you can make that argument against the, the Aussies that we now call Aussies. We, we came here and took this land, and now we call ourselves Aussies. The true Aussies are the indigenous people, am I right? Huh? <laughs> I don't know. What I'm saying is, it's just the, the stereotype of what an Aussie is isn't that. But I took a photo uh, five years ago and said, I agree with this. And my goal wasn't because I cared about the bloke who was on the painting. My goal was I was trying to make people look how woke I was, how cool I was, how special I was. And I still care about those people. I still welcome them here. I still want to be friends with them. But to call them an Aussie is like me moving to Pakistan going, this guy's Pakistani. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I still love mashed potato and I love ocean swimming. 
And I'm not sure how many pools there are in Pakistan, but they've never been, they've never featured on the podium at any Olympics. Anyway, my card just got full. My card's full for this recording. And so maybe I should end the podcast here. Maybe what I should do is not have a hissy fit. So what happened? I'm looking at my card right now. It just says, hey, card's full. So I'm going to have to figure out how to remove images. I'm glad that didn't get full, like 15 minutes in. What this conversation started as was me. I was about to tell you about a a woman on Brunswick Street last night, speaking of extreme levels of confidence. This chick had a fishnet dress on. The whole dress was fishnet. Very fine fishnet. But you could clearly see, you could clearly see everything that you could see. Her bra, and you could see her G-string, and you could see she was walking with a strut. And you could also see the... Um, the effects of everyone that she was walking by because no one wanted to blatantly look. It had to be a video. It had to be a joke because there's no... It wasn't fashion as much as it was obnoxious. What was happening was obnoxious. She had taken it too far um, and people were walking past... or she was walking past people and you could see guys so... Because she looked fit as well. You could see guys so desperately trying not to look but then the emotion of the situation got the better of them and they thought, Stop it, I'm looking! (laughs) And their head just snapped across. They looked... Melbourne fashion, you can't wear that in Point Lonsdale without getting a few. You probably could at the beach, but that's the only place I think it's really appropriate. If you're at the beach and you've got, uh, you know, if you're at the beach and you've got that attire on, it's still questionable, but less questionable than if you're walking down like a, a, a city street. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I guess that's one. But you're not allowed to say things like that because we're all so woke. I was at Queenscliff here the other day. What happened? I walked into a shop with my little boy and a lady came up to me. And she said, excuse me, you can't come in here without your mask. I said, I can't be bothered arguing about it. I'll get out. She goes, but uh, if you want to leave, you can, you can go. There's a Santa outside. There's a Santa walking around. And I said to her, hey, I saw him. I saw him walking around. And she goes, uh, excuse me, it was actually a her. I said, come on, sweetheart. Like we know, we know Santa's a man. I didn't say this, just in my head. I said to her, <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't realise. But in my head, I thought, sweet, like we know Santa's a man. Like what game are we playing? Now it's important for females to have the opportunity to dress up as Santa. Doesn't that just add to the patriarchy more? Isn't that just a sign that women are giving into this, giving into this, this mainstream idea that, that men are, I don't know what I'm saying, but surely that doesn't do favours. Huh? Why are you so passionate about this female being able to dress up as Santa? I've got no problem with a chick being Santa, but I've got a problem with us pretending that Santa's a woman. That's what I'm saying. If Santa came into my house with stilettos and a G-banger, I'd go, first of all, this is very uncomfortable because my old school teacher used to dress like that and Mr. Woodhouse was 70 years old. Not with the stilettos and the G-banger, but like a Santa. But old dem- old memories die hard. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is a benefit to that. I'm sure there is such a thing as sexy Santa. Google that. Take safe search off and Google sexy Santa. I'm sure something comes up. I'm not sure I'd want to see it because I don't believe that Santa could be sexy, not in the way that we know him traditionally. They're my thoughts for the week. I just wanted to share that with you. Hey, may the bloke who fell last night recover quick or rest in peace. I'm not sure how you are. Um, hey, reach out to me if you listen to this. You wouldn't, but it makes it sound like my audience is bigger than it is if I just refer to a random bloke who stacked it um, as a potential listener to this podcast. May your week go better than his. Peace, love, happiness, and I'll uh, I'll see you all here next week.